All right, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. Uh, there's this scene at the end where uh, Dorothy goes back to the, the great and wonderful Oz. And as she goes back with the Tin Man and Scarecrow and the lion, someone say, yeah, lion. Uh, as Dorothy goes back to uh, the great and powerful Oz, uh, they're, they're, it's a little bit of an older movie, so I don't know if you've seen it in a while. You might want to go back and watch it. It's pretty funny. Uh, there's flames and voices, and, and they were doing the best with what they had at the time. But, but they go there, and, and Dorothy is speaking to the great and powerful Oz. And they don't get what they want from the Oz. They tell them to come back. And then Toto, the little dog, if you remember this scene, uh, Toto goes over to where there's this curtain. And Toto grabs the curtain, and he pulls the curtain back, Right? And you see the back of a man and he's pulling all these levers and he's speaking into a microphone. And he turns and he sees Dorothy and he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? So here's what's interesting about that. Dorothy, the the three guys who are with Dorothy, uh, they have this idea of who Oz is. But then something happens in a moment when the curtain is kind of pulled away. And you begin to see the man behind the curtain. Uh, we're going to spend a couple weeks, just a, a little series called Behind the Curtain. Uh, this is really kind of a part two of what we just went through in our series called Viral. Uh, we've looked at this idea of, of telling people about God, of sharing the good news, about sharing our story, about inviting people to come and see what God is doing. And so the thought is, what are we inviting people to come and see? What are we inviting people to here at Trinity? Who, who are we? Uh, who are we hoping to become? Uh, and the thought is, oftentimes we have a view of church, right? And sometimes the curtain gets pulled back, and sometimes it's not always great what we see. Uh, people have not had great experiences with church. And so the thought is, what if we could just have this honest conversation? And, and, and I could just share from my heart of who I hope we are. Uh, the core values behind who we are and, and ultimately who we're trying to become. There's some things that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. We're not doing a great job. And if you know me, if you've been around this place uh, very long, I'm really vulnerable and honest and just kind of name things how they are. And so there's some areas where I think our core values for us, there are a heartbeat, uh, but I think there's some areas where we can grow, where, where things can happen, where you can grow as an individual, I can grow as an individual, and we can grow as a community of people. If you're new with us today, this is a great time to be here. Uh, Hopefully, you'll get an honest look into who we are and who we are hoping to become. If you were around this place, uh, I just hit five years as the the lead pastor. And about four years ago, uh, yeah, that's not, thank you. But uh, four years ago, I I preached uh, 10 weeks on a series called Our Heartbeat. And just looked at this idea of, of what is it that makes our heartbeat. And so some of this is going to be a refresher. I know all of you could come and preach what I preached four years ago. Um, it's a joke. I know you can't. Um, but hopefully some of those things uh, settled in, right? And so maybe a refresher is good at this point. Uh, some of you are new. So, so this is going to be really fresh to you. Uh, maybe you've heard some of these things sprinkled in as I speak. Hopefully you have. And then for some of you over the last couple of years, if you've become a partner, if you've become a member of Trinity, you've heard these. You've got a glimpse of them. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time over the next couple of weeks diving into some of these things. So why our heartbeat? Why why is that something uh, that we have called this? Uh, The thought is 
uh, at your heartbeat, whatever makes your heartbeat is really at the core of who you are. There's a saying, if you were to cut me, I would bleed, and you can fill that in, right? You could, I would bleed cardinal red, or I would bleed Starbucks, or whatever. It's like, this is like what I love and is, is really important to me, right? If, if you were to cut us as a church, like hopefully this is what we would bleed. This is what is most vital to us. And, and the, the idea of the heart the importance of your heart, uh, not only spiritually, but just physically, the importance of your heart. An average heart beats 60 to 100 times a second. So if you just look at that and split the difference at 80 times uh, a second, we're looking at uh, 42 million times a year your heart beats. I mean, every second, your heart beats. Over 3 billion times your heart will beat if you live to be 80. Three billion times. That is unbelievable. That your, your blood circulates your whole body three times every minute. In a minute, your heart is going to circulate your blood three times. The heart is an incredible organ. If you didn't know this, your heart, if you made two fists and you put them together, your heart is about that size. And what we definitely know is when your heart is not healthy, you're not healthy. Right? It's supposed to be like that. But when it's not, something's going on. I've had my own issues with my heart over the last couple of years and figuring out what was going on. My, my father-in-law several years ago uh, had an emergency open heart surgery, was having some pain, and they go in to fix it. And in a few moments, they have to cut him open and do an emergency open heart surgery. When your heart is not healthy, you are not healthy. And so as a church, we want to be as healthy as possible. We won't be perfect. Uh, we, we can be healthy. And I think we can be a great church. I think we are a great church. And so what is it that God has put on my, my heart? Really, uh, as I've been here for about 13 years, uh, really over that time, what, what do I see us as a, a people becoming and who are we? Today we're going to cover three. Uh, the first one you've heard over and over and over. And, and it is maybe one of the most important things I feel like we talk about. Uh, so hopefully some of this will become familiar to you. Uh, the first one is we find our identity in God alone. We find our identity in God. This is one of those that hopefully some of you can say, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. Now, I know what that looks like. And as we think about our identity, you begin to ask yourself some questions. Well, what is it that defines you? What defines you as a person? What gives you purpose? Who, who are you? What gives you meaning to your life? What would you say is your identity? See, part of the problem is you read the Bible in the Old Testament before Jesus enters the, the scene, the, the Old Testament, uh, and even once Jesus does, is this problem with the worship of idols. Uh, like That is a problem throughout the Bible. Uh, and, and what that means is that, that people, men and women, were giving their hearts to something or someone. In the Old Testament, usually in the form of a statue, they would make a statue and they would worship it. They would think that their hope and their fulfillment and their joy and their purpose would come through that idol. Now, for many of us, uh, that's not the case anymore. Maybe you have a statue in your house that you do that, but for the most part, we're not at that point anymore. But Tim Keller, a pastor in Manhattan, says uh, that all of our hearts are idol factories, that we just are made in a way where we are going to search for something, something to give us fulfillment and purpose and meaning. And so you're always producing these idols. Your heart is wanting to produce these idols. And so that could come in a lot of different ways. 
and usually it's good things. It's not always bad things. Whether it's stuff or your job or a promotion or a person. I, I did a wedding on, on Saturday or on Friday evening and one of the things is I do weddings and I talk to couples about is I say it, the, the danger and the, the fear that I have when people get married is they're gonna hope, they're gonna think that all of their hope is gonna be found in that person. That the other person is gonna ultimately fulfill everything that they need and that they want and it just will never happen. And so it can be your spouse, it can be your kids. And, and if we're honest, and we haven't talked about this a whole lot, uh, even our families, our families become idols. That, that we think that the families, our family will fulfill everything that we need, that our hope and our joy and everything is found in people. And it, it is a huge weight to put on someone, whether it's your spouse or your children, your parents. That is a huge weight, an unfair weight to put on someone because they will never be able to fulfill everything that you need. So as your heart begins to produce these uh, idols, that, uh, the, the searching for these idols that give you fulfillment, family is one of those. And then if you're single, you forgive me? Would you forgive the church? Would you forgive people who have ever made you feel like that without family that you could never be happy? Yeah. Yeah. Right? So we, we see in lots of different ways that things become the place where we find our identity. And so we, we think opportunity brings us those things. So if I can just graduate, if I can just get into the right college, then everything will be fine. I'll find my identity in that. And then you graduate and you think, I don't have that anymore. If I could just get the right job, if I could just get in the right place and get the right promotion and, and the right title on my name, then everything will be great. And we put our hope and everything into that. And then if I could just find someone, if I could have two and a half kids and everything is going to be great, right? And so we, we find ourselves in those places. But the crisis comes when those things don't happen. You've been there. The threat of losing a job, the threat of not getting the right job or the relationship going poorly or our kids not being the good kid that we want them to be in the moment we want them to be. And so we see that happening, right? We see that happening all around us. And one of the greatest stories, probably the main story of the Bible is this story of a rescue. As you read from the front to the back of the Bible, it is this story of rescue. In the Old Testament, we see God and his people. He rescues them from bondage and brings them into the promised land. He gives them a hope and a future. And that story continues and Jesus comes and Jesus also comes to rescue people. And one of the ways I think he is rescuing us is from this. I think he rescues us from this idea of always searching and seeking for something to fulfill us. Something to give us a hope. He rescues us from that. There's something about a rescue. I don't know how many of you have ever rescued a dog uh, from either the street or a shelter. Uh, Heather and I had only been married for a few months, and we thought it'd be a great idea two months into marriage to get a dog. And so we go to a shelter to adopt a dog, and uh, we walk in, and you know it's heart-wrenching if you've ever done this. You, you walk by all these dogs in cages, and you know they're just hoping they're the one. And, and so we go, and they show us these two little puppies, and there was just the cutest little brown liver-colored dog, and my, my wife fell in love with this little puppy, and that's the one we wanted, and I'm like, oh yeah, she's taken. But we have her sister, 
um, would you like to see her sister? And there was this other little dog in the kennel, brown and white, also cute. We're like, yeah, sure. Like, oh, okay, we'll take it over into the room. We'll let you spend a few moments with her. And so we walk into the room and they had already put this puppy in the room and we walk in and this little dog is chewing on a metal ring that is hooked to the wall. And that should have been, that should have been our idea right there to say, do you have another? Um, but we didn't, right? We, we fall in love with this little dog, uh, Riley, and she was a great dog. She had a problem with chewing. We see that. She was a great dog compared to Norman, uh, who we have now. And some of you know uh, my dog, Norman. Um, but Riley was a great dog. But there was something about Riley, right? We didn't, we didn't rescue Norman, but man, we rescued Riley. And there was something about the idea of rescuing her. Jesus has come, and I think one of the main things he has done is come to rescue us from seeking and searching for something to fulfill us, something for us to put our our stamp of hope and joy and fulfillment in. Jesus comes and says, it's me. We see in the beginning in Genesis 1, 27 through 30, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we're going to look at several scriptures. The the page number will be on there. Uh, You can grab a Bible around you. That's our gift to you. Please take that. We see in the very beginning, the language that is used, Genesis 1, 27 through 30, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, The language that I've heard when I read about this and I study this is this idea of God's imprint being put on people. That is, humans are spoke into existence as the breath of God is breathed into people, there's the imprint of God on us. And that imprint of God has forced us and caused us, I believe, to seek for something, to want something, to desire something. And if we go all the way back to the beginning, we see it's been God's handprint being put on us, that you were created in the image of God, every one of you, And see, here's the thing. You may not know that or believe that or understand it, but it's true. And not only has God put his imprint on you and have you been created in the image of God, but everyone sitting around you and everyone around the world has as well. And so we look at people different because we see that the imprint of God is on all of us. And when we begin to see that for ourselves, that the image of God is put on us, things begin to change. We can begin to see that there's a purpose to our lives. Uh, Paul learns this. He doesn't like Christians. That's an understatement. He brutally beats, arrests Christians. He puts them in prison. He comes to know Jesus and he writes these letters. Uh, Listen to what he writes in Romans 8, 15. He says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul is saying, do you remember when you were a slave to something? That you were in bondage to something or someone? And this goes back all the way to where the the Jewish people were in bondage and were enslaved and God set them free. But then there was this idea that people were becoming in bondage to, to religion, like to rules and rituals. And then things change, but they were always going back to that. They had the tendency to be legalistic and to think that they could earn their way back to God. And Paul says, when you receive the Spirit from God, 
That spirit did not make you a slave again. A slave to fear or to worry. If we look at it today, a slave to addiction, a slave to working your way back to God, a slave to legalism. This idea of if I just check the right boxes, then God is pleased with me and accepts me. He says, no, 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 you, you didn't receive the spirit that makes you a slave again. You received the spirit of sonship. And then we have the opportunity to see God as our Abba, as our Father. The spirit of God himself testifies that we are God's children. See, your identity is as a child of God. See, here's what happens though, and you've seen this. I've put this uh, up for you several times. There's a triangle we look at. And for many of you, you've experienced it this way, where you see God, often you see God with, with fear, uh, but you see God and you move directly to obedience. I just have to do everything God wants me to do. I just got to do everything he asked me and I just got to check the box. I just have to obey. And then what happens is we, we then find our identity out of that. And so if you have ever said, what did I do wrong for this to happen in my life? Why, why am I sick? God, why am I sick? What did I do wrong? See, what happened is you, you and we go to the next slide. Uh, we, we see God and we're afraid of God. We're afraid that God is just waiting to punish us to harm us, to hurt us, that he's the cop around the corner, that he's just, he's just waiting. And so we live in fear, and so then we're a slave to that. We're, we're a slave to legalism, to, to rituals, to religion, and we think if I just do, if I just check the boxes, then I find my identity. But what happens is we often live with shame and regret and wonder, what, why is God not doing this for me? What, what do I need to do better or right? Then, then God will see me and he will love me. Many of you, if you've been around the church for a long time, that's how you've functioned. And maybe even how you're functioning now. And so you have not found your identity as a son or a daughter of a very loving father. What you have done is you have found your identity out of fear that drives you to obey. And then if you obey, then maybe God will be pleased with you. But if we just rotate the way, if we just change the direction we go and we see that God is a good father, go, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. We see the grace that God gives us, the love that God extends to us. Then we see our identity as a loved child, not a perfect child, but deeply loved. And then we obey out of that and we find freedom. There's a freedom to obey because we see ourselves as sons or daughters of a good father who wants the best for us. So it's no longer out of fear that we follow. It's out of love and grace. You experience life to the fullest, as Jesus says in, in John 10, 10, life abundantly when you see yourself in the right way, when you find your identity as a son or a daughter of God. See, the first one says, I do and God accepts me. The second one says, God did, so I'm accepted and I'm loved. There's a huge difference. It is not a license to then do whatever you want. No, if you fully understand that God is a good God who loves you and is a good father who wants the best for you, then our obedience comes because we think life could be better, that life would be more abundant and fuller if we follow Jesus. And so, look, I'm going to be a pastor and we're going to be a church that, that pushes this, that it is by God's grace that we come. We will speak truth, but we will never use shame or guilt, or fear to push someone into a relationship with God. 
It is by God's love. God's so loved. That is what we will preach and that's what we will teach. And I will help you and myself fight against the tendency for our heart to look after idols that will fulfill us and give us hope. We will call out those idols and we will be in relationships and we will help one another to fully live into the identity that God has given us. The scriptures say that perfect love casts out fear. We don't have to live in fear and wonder of how God is punishing or rewarding us determined by our obedience. All right, that one was a long one. All right, here we go. Second one. We're about helping everyone take their next step in following Jesus. We're about helping everyone take their next step in following uh, Jesus. Uh, man, a, a while back, 10, 11 years ago, uh, I ran a marathon. Uh, I ran the Chicago Marathon, and there were 25,000 people who came together to run a marathon. And people were like legit runners, right? Like everyone had a goal and idea of running a marathon and what that looked like. But I've also run in what's called a color run. And I don't know if any of you have run in a color run. Uh, they're about on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to races. Uh, I ran it with my son. Here's a picture of, of Cade. Uh, if that doesn't say serious, I don't know what does. Uh, he's got science goggles on and a headband and uh, covered in color. And the interesting thing about the color run is that there was this wide spectrum of people at the color run. Uh, there were people who came and walked and just want to enjoy the moment. There were people who finished the run before our group even started, right? So in the midst of the color run, there were all people at different points of their journey in this run. Some that might have been the only time they've ever run and may never run again. Here's the deal. I want to be a church that's more like a color run than a marathon. A marathon, if you've ever been in that setting, you can easily fill out a place if you don't have the right clothes, if you don't have the right technology, you, you can feel like you're not supposed to be there. The color run doesn't feel like that. The color run is this invitation for everyone to come, for everyone to come and enjoy it and to be a part of it. I want to be the kind of church that functions like a color run because see, everyone isn't at the same place on their spiritual journey. Everyone is at this wide spectrum when it comes to how they view God and what they think. So I know in a room, in a group this size, there are all kinds of people. If I was to come and ask you what you thought about faith or where you're at, we would get a wide spectrum of answers. I mean, we all have some doubts, but maybe you are like really doubting. Like you, you don't even think that there's a God and you're here and great. You, you keep coming. You keep asking questions. Let's get together and talk. It is okay to be full of doubts and to wonder. There's some of you who are watching. You come and you just watch and you perceive what's going on and you wonder and, and that is great. Some of you are walking. You're taking a few steps into what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of you are jogging. Some of you are jogging or walking away. Maybe others are sprinting. Some of you are training others and what it looks like to follow Jesus. We are in all different places when it comes to our faith and that's good. That's good and that's healthy. Listen to what Paul says uh, to a group in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. He says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord 
and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In this, there's some key words, this idea of praying for wisdom and understanding, that you would grow in the knowledge of God, this idea of no one is where they should be. Like none of us are done. We're, we're all on this journey. So this idea of endurance and patience, that if you're at a point of doubt, would you endure through that? If you're at a place where you're helping other people, would you be patient with others? Right? And then until the end, the inheritance of the saints, until we do that, until we pass from this place onto another, we are all moving and growing in the knowledge of who God is. And so you've been around this place long enough, um, some of you, the way I'm going to speak and the way we're going to, to do church is going to be in a way where everyone who walks in is going to feel okay and comfortable being here. I was talking to someone this week and they said that Trinity was a safe place for people to land. Man, that was such a good phrase for someone to say to me. That it's, a, that it's a good place, a safe place for someone to land and to wonder what it means to follow God. Right? That, that it's okay to, to not know things. And so when I preach and you're like, gosh, we know who Paul is. Kyle, you say every week, this is who Paul is. Not everyone knows that. And it is important for you to understand and believe that and know that. That just because you've grown up in church and you're here every week, it doesn't mean everyone has. That not everyone has memorized the books of the Bible. Not everyone knows when I say go to Psalms that everyone's going to know where to turn in the Bible. And that's why we put a page number there. It's why I just dress like I do every day of the week. It's just me. Just going to be who I am. And so we're creating a place where everyone can walk in no matter who they are. If they want to come in a suit and tie or they barely have enough clothes to get in the door. Yeah. This is a place where they can come and just be who they are. Because everyone is on this spiritual journey. When they walk into this place, it has to be an okay place for them to say, this is where I'm at. But we're trying to help everyone move along. We're trying to help everyone grow in their relationship with God. So if you're here for the first time, if you've walked into church for the first time today, uh, we want to help you take a next step. Uh, maybe that next step is just you coming back again next week. And then on the other end, if you've been in church, you've heard more sermons than you can even remember or imagine, we want to help you take another step closer to Jesus as well. We're all able to move, and the goal is that we're all moving towards Jesus. We're all moving to become more like him. And so this is one of those areas we're trying to pay attention to. I don't feel like we've always done a great job of giving you next steps of being able to learn and grow in your faith individually and with others. And so we're paying attention to this. Yeah. We're having conversations of what it will look like to help people grow in their faith, no matter where they're at on their spiritual journey. So we're praying about that and we're having conversations and we're trying to figure out what that looks like. This is not an area where we've been strong. And so no matter where you've been, if church is new or you've been here forever, we want to help everyone take their next step in following Jesus. And then the third one, you've heard uh, me talk about this one quite a bit. Every time we bring in a partner, every time someone says, I want to be a member of Trinity, I want to partner with Trinity, we talk about this one. 
that we're spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers. Uh, Christmas is quickly coming, if you did not know. Uh, we have bought a new house, and uh, we have a fireplace that is not functioning and may never be functioning. Uh, that was a surprise when we got in, but we have a fireplace and my wife has bought stockings and she put up all of our Thanksgiving, all of our fall stuff because uh, she wants to hang our stockings. And I'm like, it's a little early, but Christmas is coming and Christmas means consuming, right? I remember uh, in the uh, late eighties, early nineties, uh, my parents would get the, the JCPenney catalog, right? And, and I would get that catalog and I would go through it and I would circle and I would fold and uh, now our kids just go on Amazon and they put things on their wish list in the cart, right? It's changed, but Christmas brings this idea of consuming. We are, we're consumers. You, you eat at a restaurant and you consume and then you may or may not give a review online, but you may tell people, yeah, not very good, not clean, the, the staff was terrible, right? So with consuming comes this idea of then, then we judge or we give grades to wherever we were at. Right? So if you've ever bought something, you're going on and reading reviews. If you go on a trip, you're going on and reading reviews. And here's the interesting thing. It is true with church also. See, the, the hard part as we are people who consume is to fight against that when it comes to the church. See, the, the church is not meant to function as a bunch of people who consume, but contribute. Right? That, that there is an invitation to consume, there's this invitation to receive Jesus, even as Jesus does the Last Supper and he says the words, this is my body, take, right? Receive what is given to you. There is this idea, but we're not meant just to consume. Uh, we are meant to give ourselves away. We are created. So if you look at identity, when you find your identity as a son or a daughter of a loving father, there is then this invitation. There's an invitation to be a part of something bigger than your self. In John 13, I'll summarize Jesus just days before, just days before going to the cross, in the last moments with his disciples, he washes his disciples' feet. If you don't know the story or the historical context, uh, they walked on dirt roads in sandals. When they would walk into someone's house, there was often a bowl of water left for them to clean their feet. Or there may be the lowest of the low, someone who was a hired servant who may wash a person's feet. But most people wouldn't even make their servants do that. But Jesus paints this picture that life is supposed to be radically different when you follow him. He, he gets up from the table and he takes a towel and he, he wraps it around his waist and he takes a bowl of water and he goes to his disciples, those who have been following him, and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And there's pushback from the disciples. There's no way I'll let you wash my feet. And in the end, Jesus says, what I have just done for you, you go and do. You wash one another's feet. And what Jesus is saying is, you find ways where you serve others, the ways that nobody else wants to do, in your home, in your business, in our community, that if you are a follower of Jesus, there is this expectation that you will serve one another. And so when we talk about this, there again could be this temptation out of guilt, out of shame, out of pressure for you to say, oh man, I guess I better do something. But see, then you're not doing it in the right way. You're not understanding that God has given you something, right? That God has gifted you with passions, 
and things that you have been gifted in where you can help other people, when you begin to see that and realize that God is calling you to more than just coming in, of just consuming, but there's an opportunity to contribute, things begin to change. You begin to see things differently. We see with the early church, they all participated. They had to. There was no idea that they would just come and kind of see what was going on and leave. And we're creating a place where you can come and see. For many of you, you can come and rest. Church has not been good for you and come and rest. But then there's this invitation, right? There's this joy to serving. There's this idea of loving people well. And so we want to invite you into that. In the next few weeks and months, we're going to look at spiritual gifts and how God has created you. What does it look like to learn those things and to put those things into practice? That as you find your identity in him, maybe you'll see what those giftings are. And as you follow him, you'll put those into practice. For some of you, as we think about next steps in following Jesus, maybe your next step is saying, man, I've been hesitant. I've been meaning to say, how can I help? Or I want to serve with kids. We have babies in this place. If you didn't know that, uh, we've had quite a few babies born over the last few months uh, around, I think, seven, right? Someone help me out. I think seven, eight, uh, maybe more coming. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. Uh, but, but these babies are here. We, we need some people who would just say, man, I'd love to just rock babies, right? As these moms and dads want to put their babies in the nursery, uh, that you could just rock babies and pray over them and just love them well, right? And maybe that's not your thing. We need people in the tech booth. We need people who are willing to teach and to lead groups. You are gifted in something, and so if you've been hesitant to th- because you're like, man, I don't know if I'm invited to participate, you're invited. You're invited. And we'll continue doing what God's called us to do if you don't sign up. But you might be missing out on something. You might be missing out on God using you to challenge or to help or to support someone. Would you do that? Would you think about how can I begin to contribute in what God is doing here? Because we think everyone can do that. Everyone can contribute. Just real quick with that, uh, even if you're here and you're like, look, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Can I still serve? Can I still help? I don't know if I believe in God. Yeah. There's lots of ways that you can still participate. One of the best ways is to greet people when they come in the building. If you're happy to be here and are going to welcome people into this place, you can greet. Uh, You may not be sure what you believe yet, but if you're happy to be here and you want other people to be here, you can greet. You play an instrument, we'd love for you to join the band. We believe, you may not know it yet, but we believe that God has gifted you to do something. So we want to help you find that and to put it into practice. And so we're better together. We're better when we all contribute in what God wants for us. So as we we pull back the curtain today and we pull back the curtain next week, and maybe you have an idea of what church looks like, or maybe you've been here for a while and you're not really sure what's important to us Uh, We're trying to expose that. We're trying to show you what is most important and what you're invited to be a part of and who we're hoping to become. Greg's going to come up. Uh, Maybe you've known these things, but but I just want to encourage you as you think about our last series and who you could invite to come and see, uh, this is what you're inviting them to come and see. A, A group of people who are finding their identity in God alone. Not in things of this world, not in things that will let us down, but in a loving Father who deeply, deeply loves you. That, that everyone, no matter who your friend is or what they believe, there's an opportunity for them to come and to take a next step. Right? No matter where they're at on their spiritual journey. And then there's this great invitation for you to participate and to be a part of what God's doing. Would you stand? I'll pray and we'll sing.
God, thanks for today, and as always, I'm so, so thankful for the opportunity just to gather on Sundays. Lord, I, I need to be in your presence uh, with other people, and I'm thankful that we get to do that every Sunday morning. Uh, God, would you help us? Would you help us in the areas where we're not great as a church or as people? Would you help us to see that there's areas where we can grow? But Lord, our desire is to seek and to follow you as you have called us to love you and to love people and to serve our community. Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to become who you've called us to be? I pray in Jesus' name.